This is the Energizing India podcast. Apart from causing a lot of traffic, commercial trucks play a very key role in running everyday life in India. However, over the years, these IC trucks have been major contributors to environmental pollution. Addressing this particular issue today, we have Rohan Shravan, the CEO at Trasa Motors, one of the few companies that is actively building intellectual property or IP in India, and that too in a space largely dominated by legacy players. This is going to be a fun conversation. Rohan, welcome to the program. Yeah, glad to be here. So Rohan, uh, you graduated from IIT Kharagpur and from there you worked in various design houses then also worked uh, a bit in AI. Uh, you have quite a extensive sort of experience in that particular front. So can you just tell us more about your journey? So uh, uh, it's a pretty interesting journey actually. Uh, 2008 mechanical engineer IIT Kharagpur. Uh, Uh, in 2007, I started working on a concept of a device, but the device was based on NVIDIA as a platform, and uh, they were not uh, replying back to my emails. And somehow, I had to get to them to f- understand how can I get their reference design. And uh, one of my friend uh, uh, posted my uh, CV to Schlumberger. I joined Schlumberger for three months. They posted me to US. Went to US, met NVIDIA, got their reference uh, platform, uh, designed, and came back. And when I came back, I uh, wanted to become a monk. left everything <laughs> because nvidia said that they are going to give me platform after 6 to 9 months so i thought why not like explore some of the uh, spiritual aspects of vedas i'm pretty interested in that concept so we went to ladakh uh, went every single monastery possible and uh, my driver got fed up because no monastery is ready to take me as a monk that concept is actually there but it's a marketing concept so yeah. uh, so all the monks said that why don't you come back in july when uh, you can actually be here and Uh, become a monk. Uh, finally, my driver told me something interesting, which I still remember. What I'm looking for is inside me. I have to go back and search myself, and that actually started a journey. Uh, 2009 was spent in making this device called Adam. Uh, Nushin Inc. Adam was very famous in 2009 and 11. Uh, we showcased our device in Las Vegas. CES got pretty, uh, got a pretty much good recognition as well. Uh, started manufacturing it. Uh, we sold across 80 plus countries. But within one year, Nvidia came back and said, "We can't give you the processor because we are exclusive to Motorola." Oh, wow. And Google came back and said, "We can't give you the Android operating system because it is exclusive to Motorola." And Google had bought Motorola at that time. We're talking about Motorola Zoom, that was yeah. the first tablet which came out from Android. So the, mm-hmm. what I learned there is, unless you own the IP, you should not do something like this. You become a carbon micromax lava. The life is not going to be much as uh, if you are an assembler. So manufacturing uh, for me was 2009 to 2016. Uh, then 2014, I started one company which uh, where we started focusing on designing actual flux motors. It took around six years to get the concepts. We tried different variants, different uh, kind of technologies. Uh, burned all the personal savings and designed the inverters. Uh, we needed inverters, inverters which can work on silicon carbide uh, switching uh, switch circuits, and they're very expensive. Each one of them was something like fifty thousand, sixty thousand. Burned a lot of stuff, but finally 2022, uh, it was ready. Uh, since 2016, I've also been running. Uh, 18, I've also been running School of AI, where I teach AI on Saturdays, 6:30 a.m. I've taught more than 7,000 students in deep, deep neural networks, uh, and uh, I also started a company called Inkers in 2016 that is into sensor fusion. Uh, sensor fusion, uh, there we use a lidar, a normal camera, and thermal camera integration to, at real time, design the uh, hyper accurate uh, 3D model of a site, which is now in construction. So most of the embassy. 
buildings are on our platform. Every one in uh, three construction uh, building in commercial uh, real estate in the Bangalore city is on our platform. But Tressa literally started with the uh, motor being ready and looking at people who are in our ecosystem. And it touched upon the right concept, the right problem we wanted to solve. We asked ourselves, what should we do? Uh, the motors are 100 kilowatt and up. We can't design a scooter, definitely. Uh, and uh, yeah. we saw 3% of trucks uh, con constitute all the vehicle uh, numbers that we have on the road. But the uh, particulate matter is 60%, emissions is 38%, carbon monoxide is 40%. And it's really, really bad. So unless we target that problem, it doesn't matter if you make millions of motorcycles, we're not going to be uh, inching towards solving this problem. And that's a very interesting thing that you said. Uh, what what will go down uh, deep in terms of you know various aspects that you have for your businesses. But what sort of struck me is in India, um, building something uh, out of scratch, uh, that's not a very innate trait that we have had, right? There are not a lot of global companies that, uh, that has came out of India. Uh, mostly people sort of build stuff that is exclusive for the Indian use cases itself. Uh, but you are out here right from the start, right right with Adam, you've always sort of thought about building something that is uh, from a global perspective. So where, where did all of this sort of tinkering uh, or entrepreneurship, I think, came from? Because this is not something that we are taught in schools. So uh, it's... Uh... Sort of, you can say it's a bit of patriotism, a bit of naiveness also, a bit of challenging the status quo, but it actually comes from the embarrassment that we are the largest populous, like most populous nation in the world. I'm using language which is not ours, <clears throat> using the uh, communication system which is not built by us. There's not even a single product probably in this room which is made in uh, this country. And that's sort of, uh, it's not a good trait for a country to have. I just wanted to change that since childhood. Uh, why can't we have the best products in the world? And uh, I'm slightly dyslexic. It is easier for me to visualize things. So that's where the hardware product act comes in together. I can imagine multiple things getting together and being built. And uh, that, that's where the whole, the whole of this key is actually coming from. To actually make it, not just assemble it, not just borrow stuff. So coming back to Tressa then, uh, why, 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 where did the concept of building the motor came into the picture in the first place? Uh, do you, where do you, so this was very early, right? This was in 2014, uh, 2015. This was way early uh, for even like Tesla started uh, being like a cool niche product during that point of time. Um, and even they weren't sort of talking about, you know, with the semi trucks or, you know, with the roadster or anything of that particular sort. Uh, they were stuck with more or less, more, more legs during that point of time. So why, where did this particular idea came into the picture of building uh, the motor in the first place? So as I shared, like the yeah, the notioning journey, it was a heartbreak. I can't explain how uh, dreadful the day was when I and Nvidia sent their mail that they can't supply the processors anymore. Uh, the two years of hard work and uh, maybe 25 hours a day kind of uh, effort had gone in making that product and uh, promoting it and designing everything around. And suddenly, like the company comes in and says that, uh, sorry, you can't have it. That, 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 that was sort of a slap on the face that uh, you have to own the core IP. Uh, you'll not believe Tata Motors today for their diesel engines buys engines from Cummins. Uh, every single car on the road, including Tata Motors, buys from Shanghai Automotives. Uh, uh, Mahindra Bond Electric is buying from Volkswagen. Uh, then you have Ashokaland buying from Dana. It's surprising why we have, why we don't have these motors being designed here. So that that was a key thing that we don't want. Uh, we want to make sure that the core IP is in house there. Right? in future people can't come in and why can't we supply motors to these OEM? You might have heard of a K7 engine. K7 engine is built by Renault. It goes in Nissan Duster, uh, Micra, also goes in Mercedes C-Class. So you can design products which can actually be cross-functional and 
uh, can be actually used by different companies as possible. Interesting. So you essentially, build the motor first, and then sort of uh, took the route of being an OEM for the motor itself. So in in case uh, you have, so essentially you have your own motor, you have your own powertrain, and then you is that a separate vertical from uh, Tressa, or all of it comes under the same company itself? So a correction, a correction on the motor side. It took six okay. years to get the concept of the motor right, but we still couldn't finish it. Uh, finally, okay. uh, so that company uh, rolled on in 2021, 22 we started Tressa and the engineers at Tressa finally figured out how to get their motor right. Because there were a lot of challenges in getting it right. Uh, we have a very beautiful team on the motor design side. So uh, we are a proper OEM and uh, uh, if you know Tesla also supplied battery packs initially to BMW. That's how we're looking at our components. But once our components are proven on our own vehicle, then we can actually become an OEM for uh, can, uh, we can become a component suppliers for others. We just want to make sure that components work really well on our own products first. So, uh, essentially, why uh, why do you think that it took six years to build that particular motor? What is what is it that goes into building uh, you know uh, a motor of this particular capacity, and why why essentially it took six years for you? So, uh, probably if you were in Germany or UK or some other country, it wouldn't have taken this long. The know-how is not there. Uh, India Indians probably are actually not known for teaching. We hate teaching, we hate sharing what we know. We feel that if you share what I have, certainly I'll have nothing left inside. So there's a big uh, gap between, in, uh, between what you want to know and what people are ready to talk to you about. And uh, uh, funding was also a big problem. I invested my personal savings into the company, but that's not good enough to hire the best engineers. Uh, so it was function of time, it was function of technology maturity, function of silicon carbide, MOSFETs not being there at a low cost for us to be able to burn more of them and get, the, get into the production ready capacity. But finally, everything came together around 21, 22, and we got the right team, right funding, and we were able to start. So uh, you you mentioned that you know it took the right team, and uh, in 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 a in a space where if you go down the engineering route, you still don't have a dedicated course for electric vehicles in India. You know you you might have automotive engineering, but which is more catered towards the ICE counterparts and not towards the EVs. So how how did you find that team for yourself? And what was that journey like? You know, because uh, this this is I'll tell you why uh, this particular question because I was re- reading about this article um, you know a few days ago where uh, essentially us as uh, you know as a country we were never it was never in our DNA to build institutions it was never in our uh, DNA to build bigger companies right uh, which is looking at let's say 50 years or 100 years down the line Tata is one of those examples Tata's you know has built something uh, which will last them for like 100 200 years that one trust element that even if you're se- even if you're selling salt uh, you know that sort of means trust and even if you're selling a car even that means trust you know that is a journey that they have sort of developed so it's a example of bigger institution uh, but essentially there have, hasn't been many of these cases we are too used to the Britishers uh, coming and setting up these institutions for us so we lack that particular era in the industrial revolution uh, so when you were sort of faced that you when you faced that challenge right where you wanted to build that team uh, and be, who will be, help you build that IP uh, for India and you will set uh, everyone on this particular journey for the next 50, 60 years where there's constant innovation, constant products, constant uh, uh, newer things, newer things being developed in India or in, in your company in itself. How you're building that uh, culture, how you're finding that particular team and essentially third part of that question would be where do you, where do you want to sort of take this company in the next 50 years? So uh, sort of uh, 
before I actually got fully involved in Tessa, a partial team was there, but it was sort of non-functional. See, uh, the task of a CEO is to get people who are better than him in every single aspect and give them all the freedom. So, uh, for instance, when we burn our motor, we celebrate. When we uh, break something down, we actually celebrate. So, the engineers we have, I just have to empower them, trust them, and ask them to believe in themselves. And uh, we do not do not have managers here. Every person who we have has to be go to Pinia, for example, or JC Road, get the components, sit in the manufacturing facility, work with the guys who are actually making these, come back, revise the design, and go back again. So it's actually a trust which actually needs to go in the, these particular teams. But we have really super special people. It's, you can call it serendipity that I happen to found them in the company and uh, just help them do what they can do best. That's, that's literally the core of it. And uh, as we are hiring more people, I'm again trying to find people who are really good in what they want. And they want to join Tessa because they want to really make something, not because they are looking for a salary jump or they are getting bored in the company. Uh, there are some there's some cultures which are really toxic. We, we tend to avoid uh, such companies as well. But generally, people uh, it's not just me. There are a lot of engineers who are also frustrated. If you look at what the other engineers are doing in their companies, most of the engineering happens in Germany and US, and they get the back of the work uh, background works to finish up writing requirements, writing test cases, and they are super genius as well. So there are people who are really ready to jump uh, ship and actually test out their journey with us. Yeah. And, and the last part of the question was, you know, where, what is your aspiration, you know, for the company? Where do you see this uh, moving towards in the next 50 years? Yes, so uh, Tressa is going to be on the mobility and electric mobility. So that uh, is not limited to land. It can go in different areas as well. But again, the IP is very important for us. We want to make sure that uh, Tressa can become a global OEM. Our dream is to be in Germany and actually then tell Daimler that, okay, now let's compete. Like, why can't we do that? So we want to become a global OEM, which makes one of the best vehicles in the market, looking at what technologies are coming in, being at being at their state of art, making sure we are able to push the boundaries, while also making sure our products are the safest in the world. Electric vehicles are very, very dangerous. I'm not sure if you've seen a lithium battery exploding in front of you. If you have, then you know that it's a very uh, dangerous field. But fortunately, it's also getting safer and better as time is progressing. But really want to take India in the forefront of the automotive industry, not limiting to land. So sort of uh, taking the conversation back to the truck then uh, India as a country uh, there have trucks have been there for decades at this point of time and we have probably one of the most unique designs for trucks all over the globe right you know it's it's a really compact sort of design which is able to maneuver through smaller roads or uh, you know the carts that we have uh, doesn't matter what the terrain is the trucks would be there so I think that that was a very natural evolution uh, that OEM sort of did to the design of these trucks over the years based on the experience that they had. Now, your truck's design is pretty unique. You know, it's pretty futuristic, pretty cool looking, pretty 2023. Uh, but uh, is it something that the industry requires? Is it is it is it is it out of practicality or is it out of just making the product look cool? So it's a uh, it's actually on the practicality side. Anyone who looks at a truck says that we got inspired from a Tesla Cybertruck. truck. Has nothing to do with it. This design is something which I made somewhere around 2014, and uh, I did that because when I was making my own tablets, uh, you'll not believe the most expensive component there was a magnesium JC to hold the whole product together, which users don't see, they don't touch. The most expensive part of any automotive design is the tooling of the body. Any curved surface you see needs a steel. A high density tooling to be done. It might cost somewhere around 2 to 25 crore. If I design a cool looking curvy truck, I'm going to spend around 250 to 500 crore just on tooling side. But the design we have right now allows us to do something like a laser cut and just weld it. 
So this is actually coming from the requirement, making sure that the cost of development is actually pretty low compared to what's there. And we also want to design something which is unique and which is going to remain as a classic design and never seen before. We want a truck uh, to be seen as something which maybe Shah Rukh Khan wants to buy uh, to drive to his uh, movies and uh, at the back he can have his camper van. In inside is also pretty cool. We have not shared the interiors yet. It's a center drive. You sit at the center of the truck, not on the left or the right. And uh, uh, the seat is also air suspended. The cabin is also air suspended. We're designing for European standards. But the whole, the, stru the structure and the way it looks comes from the uh, fact that we wanted to make sure that we have as less tooling as possible. Then uh, if your aspirations are, you know, of course, you know, the, the truck, essentially trucks market would be, let's say India is one part of it, but there are also other countries that you would necessarily export the, uh, export the truck to. But then why, why start the company in India and not in US? Is yeah, again, it goes back to the same thing. Why I started notioning in India, if I was doing hardware, I should have been outside. But the point is that I want our generation to be the last generation asking this question, why India? We have to take the call and make sure that the engineers are on. There's, there's something about manufacturing which uh, people in India don't understand. Let's say you're doing a plastic tooling and uh, you inject your plastic fillets into the machine, you get a plastic component out and you dry it out and suddenly you see you have some warped surfaces. But if you go to China and if you go to a country which is doing manufacturing for quite some time, the temperature is controlled, the amount of time the, uh, the plastic component spends inside the machine is controlled, how we anneal it back to normal temperature is also controlled. So it takes a lot of time to actually understand manufacturing or to design precision components. So if we were outside and suddenly we come back to India, we will not be able to find people who can actually manufacture stuff. We want to make sure that we are the last generation uh, to learn or to teach this to the uh, rest of the country and rest of the uh, people we have. So, uh, in, in, in India, uh, if you see in the last three years, three, four years, uh, especially after the Fame 2 subsidies, you know, the EV adoption has uh, really gotten very serious. I mean, it's not a fun or a, uh, it's not a very, something that you would joke out of. It is a very practical day-to-day, -day, every common man is buying, uh, you know, two-wheelers at this point in time. So, in the two-wheeler space, EVs are really becoming like a serious purchase option. Even in the four-wheeler space, if you're in the sort of space for about, if you know your use cases properly, like let's say if you just want to drive around the city, you know what purchase you want. If you, uh, if your majority of your driving is outside of the city, you know what purchase is there for it. Uh, yeah, for four-wheelers so there are multiple options and even in terms of charging infrastructure it is catching up there are multiple charge point operators in India who are doing that uh, interestingly in the in the LCV space 56% of all LCVs sold are currently electric so in that particular space as well electric is sort of one of the most serious options that you could uh, sort of get right now but in in this truck particular space uh, it's it's very difficult to make a, a truck electric you know of course you know, your your battery size increases your motor output increases your entire cost sort of increases by multiple folds so uh, why essentially uh, do you think um, one first part of the question is why essentially you think that it took so long for to be ha to have electric trucks here in india and what are the typical advantages that an electric truck would have over uh, your normal ICE trucks for logistics? See, it again goes back to the component. So it's not just India, even uh, so if we keep China outside, even Europe is taking time to pick the electric truck part up. An electric truck in general is going to be around 50 times more powerful than uh, let's say a scooter. It will have 100 times more energy than a scooter also because it actually does way more distance compared to others. And battery technologies have been improving as we speak. Now the cost of the battery is somewhere around 2022 reached a point where electric trucks suddenly seem feasible. 
by the time we hit 25 26 certainly we'll be able to compete with at least a low range diesel truck so the majority of the factor actually goes back to availability of the component the availability of motor and the price of the battery if the battery was somewhere around let's say 50 dollar per kilowatt or uh, uh, yeah 50 dollar per kilowatt in 2016 i think by 2020 we had we would have had all the electric trucks but even today uh, it's somewhere hovering around 100 dollars per kilowatt is a function of the cost of the battery so is it just the cost uh, upfront cost that sort of uh, is is sort of a bigger challenge or there are more aspects to it because you are, you need to see that people who are driving these trucks are not necessarily uh, you know the most tech savvy people that you would have so what they essentially require is just a steering wheel you know the basics that go around they want to have that uh, like the, the the satisfaction or that safety net that no no matter where my truck breaks down i'll find a local mechanic who can come and fix my truck do you think that that is that is going to be like one of your bigger challenge for adoptions not for us uh, we have been extremely strategic in the kind of investors we have picked one of our investor has the largest service centers for the trucks in the country so the moment we launch we'll have the service centers all distributed across so that, that's how we are thinking as a company also now uh, just as an example uh, the total number of service centers for tata is way more than ashukland is way more than parbens and this is in the order of the market penetration they have so total number of service centers directly going to affect the total number of trucks on the ground because uh even if uh, your truck is let's say extremely good then it breaks on rarely but you still want to know that within 50 km you have a service center to look at but again going back on the points is the battery and the availability of the component uh, something which does like 250 or 350 kW uh, kind of motors they have recently started coming out this kind of performance was only required for uh, let's say a supercar or a, a luxury car in the electric space but not on the uh, not available outside so it took a bit of development time for the motors and the battery pack but if you combine these two then you actually get the right uh, you can say masala for electric truck interesting and how does the economics work out for let's say an average uh, uh, logistics guy let, who is from mumbai who has five fuel trucks compared to uh, ic uh, ashok leland or something else yeah so uh, based on our calculation it should take 2 years to break even and when i say break even we are talking about so electric truck is going to be expensive now if you ask me what is the cost of an electric truck um, the reverse question i'm going to ask you what range are you talking about if you're talking about a 150 km range truck then it's actually same as diesel truck we're talking about 2025 prices if you're talking about let's say 400 km truck it's going to be double of a diesel truck if you're talking about 600 km it's going to be three times so it's dependent on the range but even for the 400 if you're actually driving a truck let's say 300 km a day and you're doing 300 days a year you should be able to break even in 2 years based on uh, taking electricity from the grid if you're taking electricity from a solar farm of your own then you will break even let's say in 6 months 7 months kind of time frame it's interesting because um what uh, what tesla strategy with the semi truck and they just started started rolling it out uh, it's majorly it's the bigger companies who have their certain esg goals that they want to abide by so it's your bigger pepsicos and walmarts uh, all of these guys are essentially buying uh, all these trucks for the essential logistics uh, where the charging infrastructure becomes like a very easy uh, sort of thing because you essentially need to set up chargers uh, on from one plant to other plant right uh, and so your distances are covered is this something that charging infrastructure is something that you are sort of thinking about at the moment or is it too early for you no this uh, the india strategy is actually going to be similar uh, electric trucks are going to be bought by companies who have a predefined point a and point b because the charging will happen at night uh, for electric trucks a 50 kilowatt charger is a fast charger for a car it's a slow charger for a truck 
for a truck you need a 500 kilowatt hour charger those charger are yet to be there in the country the max we have found is somewhere around 350 or uh, max 400 but 500 or 1 megawatt kind of charger is not there in the country yet uh, things might change by 25 26 but initially everyone who uh, knows exactly the point a and point b is where the trucks are going to be sold and 27 is when we are seeing that a uh, person who wants to go from a to any location will actually go ahead uh, and this will happen as the penetration of the charging stations happen and that's something we also want to do so we and uh, we are also going to be strategic here because uh, uh, we don't have infinite money and there are 10 main arteries in the country where around 50% of the logistics flow so if on these 10 highways we can install enough chargers at 100 km distance then we have covered 50% of the of the total available uh, market so um, is megawatt charging you are something looking at because for megawatt charging then again your connector sort of becomes completely different so it's not the normal i i'm assuming that you have ccs2 connectors for your uh, for your vehicles which if if you're using that then you are able to utilize the existing charging infrastructure that is already there so let's say you also set up uh, across all the major highways but then you will also have access to rest of the charging infrastructure charging infrastructure that normal cars are using it might be not as fast as you, let's say your 360 kilowatt or 400 kilowatt dispensers but it would give you essentially some amount of energy to go to the next uh, super fast charging station that you have so is megawatt charging you or something that is you are looking at yeah we are looking at that and we want it to be compatible to uh, to the rest of the uh, rest of the system as well but the megawatt charger is something which will probably comes over on next year uh, july uh, july august kind of time frame So we had to explore that. There's a new uh, charging connector which is also in use in US now. Tesla promoted that, and now the uh, car manufacturer also jumping on that. So we need to see whether that gets promoted uh, in the country. Uh, and those charges also support uh, way higher capacity. But of course, the CCS2 needs to be there to make sure that we are compatible and our charges are also compatible with other uh, the manufacturers as well. Essentially, what we are seeing, because uh, we we follow the uh, this charging space pretty uh, aggressively, uh, NACS as a charging standard in US, since Tesla already had about twelve thousand chargers already on the road, so it made sense for the OEMs to adopt that. Uh, but in Europe, Europe is pretty strict about their own standards. You know, they made the Apple change from Lightning to USB-C, so. that's that's a very difficult take to sort of have all of the existing ccs2 chargers in us to uh, in europe to change to nacs and india isn't necessarily would follow what europe is doing so having nacs at least that is uh, what i feel having nacs in india might be uh, a sort of difficult even though we have seen many teslas in india so see like there are four five test vehicles of teslas in india uh, which are having the ccs2 uh standard so that might be something that uh, sticks yeah it's a it's a completely evolving space and depending so on uh, you never know what will happen yeah, we have no idea at all <laughs> we need to be agile we need to make sure that we can uh, move faster compared to the rest uh essentially for this particular segment uh, again I'll, I'll, the reason why i'm asking more about the segment is because it's very unique and it presents its own challenges one of the challenges as you mentioned was the price of battery and the size of battery when the size of battery increases your weight uh, of the entire truck also uh, increases which is may or may not uh, present unique problems uh, necessarily it, the the debate for this particular segment is always either it's going to be electric or hydrogen um there are very interesting uh, sort of products coming out of europe for this particular segment which are you know hydrogen fuel cell uh, fuel cells uh, based so what is what is your take on it is there any is there a particular reason why you went for electric compared to hydrogen 
Okay, so most of the uh, world which knows about hydrogen versus electric, the knowledge is from 2018-19 kind of spec. Uh, we forget that we need somewhere around 744 kilowatt of energy to do electrolysis and finally get 100 kilometer range of hydrogen. Whereas you need need the uh, worst 144 kilowatt of energy to move 100 kilometers on electric. Hydrogen on economics is five times more expensive just on the electricity side. Right, so we are saying that we'll generate 744 kilowatt of energy and then move 100 kilometers on hydrogen, whereas on electric 144, 100 doesn't make sense. Another fact we forget is that the hydrogen uh, cylinder which is there on the truck is going to be 300 or 600 psi. The gas cylinder are housed like 100 times lower. And we are saying that we'll set up this uh, 600 psi hydrogen container, 400 uh, centers in Bangalore and every city in the country. And, and somehow we'll also figure out uh, a seven times more expensive way of generating hydrogen or generating the so overall economics point of view, I don't think uh, that we have figured out unless we have a nuclear fusion reactor or someone uh, who invents that and we can actually get hydrogen at a very low cost. This whole thing doesn't make sense if it is coming from the renewable source of energy. Nuclear, nuclear fusion comes in, I'll, I'll immediately move to hydrogen because now suddenly we have a really good amount of uh, really good source of energy. Now second, uh, we are also saying that batteries will never get cheaper, they're ne never going to get lighter. But we also forget that in the last four years, they've actually gotten lighter by 50 times or 50%. And they're also way cheaper compared to what they were six years ago, from $171 to now they are $100. In next five years, this is also going to fall around 50%, both on the density side and on the pricing side. Now, when that happens, the amount of load you're going to carry extra for the hydrogen fuel cell and the hydrogen tanks and other stuff is going to be similar to a battery. Then the comparison is going to be on the economic side. And economically, hydrogen uh, is going to be around five times more expensive than just using electricity. And the transportation of hydrogen is very uh, difficult. I mean, it, it has its own own sets of challenges. Yeah, you'll, ha you'll have thousands of Hindenburgs moving all across <laughs> the country. That's a dangerous <laughs> So according to you, how, what does this sector look like in 2030? What, what would change? What sort of uh, things or newer players do you think uh, would come into the uh, into the picture? Uh, what what do you think the legacy manufacturers would do in this segment? What is what is it? So uh, battery chemistry will definitely change. It may not be LFP or NMC by 2030. There's going to be much better chemistry, which is lighter, can store uh, much better energy, uh, much better energy content. Also, that's definitely going to keep on changing, and that's a challenge for cell manufacturers. Uh, legacy OEMs till 26, 27 are just going to re retrofit their own truck. If you see what others are doing, they're adding batteries on the sides of the truck. That's the first thing which is going to get impacted in an accident. They are removing the engine and putting a motor instead of the engine. That's not how electric trucks will be designed. Electric trucks will have E-axles reducing the overall weight. And uh, again, the importing component from companies uh, like Dana or uh, let's say Meritor and, and integrating into their own products. So by 27, they're allowing startups like us to go, go out tell people, solve some of the problems, and then by the time 2627 comes in, come with a big manufacturing and uh, marketing muscle and prove everyone that we are the best. So we literally have around a couple of years to make sure that people trust us more than the legacy OEMs. Interesting, interesting. So when are we going to see the Tressa truck out here in the open? It's already uh, it's already out there in the open. So if you come to our company, you can see that. But uh, the strategy we are following is that, uh, let's say if you ask me, when are we hitting manufacturing? I have a dream yeah. date, but then there's a, re a realistic date as well, right? So dream date can be as early as 1st Jan 2025. But what we want to do is next year, we want to clock around a million kilometers on around 5,200 trucks. And once we have these million kilometers clocked with our partners, uh, uh, we are entering trials with our partners. Uh, we know the truck actually is working and it's actually not, it's actually giving the TC we're expecting, it's actually giving the efficiency we're expecting, then it makes sense to 
into production because the first sector is going to be b2b so even if the trucks are available for sale a normal person might, might not be should not actually buy it because he'll not be able to charge it he'll have to wait, wait for a week to charge on his home connector yeah it'll take a long time uh just we are we'll, we'll sort of wrap up with the last question uh, so this is question that uh, if you've seen the uh, podcast you know that what question i'm going to go for but this is question that we ask all of our uh, listeners it's essentially it might be a bit frivolous in nature but it always gets a very unique perspectives out uh, uh, you know from individuals from various parts of the industry uh, and the question is that if you had the opportunity to influence the rest of the ev industry um uh, and what what would be that one uh, suggestion yeah i'll move the fame to from the oem to the component suppliers the fame subsidies should be for the component suppliers not for the oem if the components are cheaper the vehicle is going to be cheaper but now what we have done we have allowed the oems to take the money go out buy from china or somehow uh, get it rebranded as indian product and use it and we are literally not allowing the component industry to go ahead if you see that see the plm scheme which also came out it's not for the component supplier as a government they have to make sure the component suppliers are actually doing better and that's how the rest of the companies can actually make cheaper products interesting true 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 i think from the what their perspective uh, might be is that if there are more people buying the vehicles then these oems may place more number of we, orders but the, indians are way smarter than we actually are yeah. for for every single thing chinese are always <laughs> going to be cheaper than indians chinese, chinese yes. products true. i'm sorry True, true, true. Interesting. So, uh, thank you so much, Rohan, to be uh, for being on the podcast. It was very interesting for us. Um, it, it sort of had very uh, unique takes on the market on what India needs to do and what this segment uh, sort of essentially functions. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm also learning every day. Thank you. I'm your host for this episode, Ravin Mirchandani. But I would not be here without the amazing, energizing India podcast team. Onkar, our podcast director and the man who makes it all happen in the end, much like a big, fat, grand Indian wedding, bringing together the research, data, and attention to details, all in the timelines to get the next episode out on time. Three Vikram, our podcast co-host and head of research, and Sunil, who along with me is executive producer of our program. The Energizing India podcast is an Ador Digitron production, giving a voice to the EV industry in India. If you enjoyed listening to us today, make sure to follow us on whatever platform you are listening on, whether it's Spotify, Apple iTunes, or our own portal, EnergizingIndia.tv. Thank you very much, and see you on the next episode.